Well, good morning, everybody. It's incredible to be here with you. If you do not know me, this is your first time with us, or you just haven't cared to ever learn my name before. My name is Corey. I am the uh, lead pastor here at Third Street Community Church, and it's my honor and privilege uh, to be bringing to you the word this morning. If you haven't been with us, let me take a moment to catch you up to speed because we are in the middle-ish of a series that we called, Are You Just? It is our exploration of the book of Habakkuk found in the Old Testament, which is, which is essentially laid out in Scripture because sometimes it's incredibly difficult to see a loving God and a God who tells us that he is just in the midst of all of the incredible, complex, difficult, and quite honestly, tragic things that are happening in our world. Believe it or not, the issues of violence and injustice are not unique to our city or even, or even our community or even our times. Habakkuk had very similar complaints. This book starts off with Habakkuk shouting to God and saying, when are you going to step in? When I look in my streets, when I look in my neighborhood, I don't know what your pearly gates look like, but my gates and my neighborhood, all I see is death and violence. I don't know what it looks like when people stand before you, God. I don't know what happens to their fate when they're in front of you, but down here, the criminal justice system ain't all that just. God, I don't know what you have planned or if you just don't care at all. But down here, we're hurting, and we're begging you to step in. So for the first two weeks, we looked at this back-and-forth exchange uh, between Habakkuk and God, because how many of you know that when we cry out to God, we are heard? When we cry out to God, he hears us. And in the case of Habakkuk, he decides to respond pretty directly and let him know, like, first of all, don't even act like you know anything about what I'm doing up here, but I'm going to go ahead and let you in on a little something. See, I've got this greater thing that's going on. The, the people who you claim are, 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 are upsetting you because of the violence and because of the injustice, they will be dealt with. There's this impending nation called Babylon, and they're going to come, and they're going to smack you all up, and they're going to they're take care of all of that, right? That's, that's, that's going to be the justice there. And then Habakkuk comes back again. He's like, hold on. That doesn't sound right. That doesn't quite sound like, like, like you, God. You're going to take a bigger thing and a more evil thing, and you're going to come squash our smaller thing and less evil thing? And he's like, no. No, I got a plan for Babylon, too. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at God's extensive yet very uh, specific and indicting list of complaints of the nation of Babylon. He says, no, I, I know exactly what's going on there. I know exactly what they're up to. I know the systems of impression that they've employed. I know that they've taken things away from people. I know that they've enslaved people. I know that even in their empire, they implore uh, uh, unjust economic practices to keep the poor the poor and to keep the rich the rich. I know that. I know that. Last week, we talked about the fact that he says, yeah, and I know that, that they degrade you and that they drag you through the mud and that they expose you 
and that they put you on blast so that you experience shame. And I know they do that for sport. I know it. I see it. And all along, we've been drawing these parallels to point out the scary idea that our lives and our current predicaments are not that different than what Habakkuk was writing quite a long time ago. This week, we read the final complaint God has against the Babylonians. We find it in chapter 2, and we start it in verse 18. So if you have your Bibles with you, praise God, go ahead and open your physical Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. We're going to be in the second chapter. We're just going three verses today. We're finishing this chapter up, and we'll move forward next week. If you don't have it with you, that's okay. It's up here on the screen. This is Habakkuk chapter 2. We're going to read verses 18 through 20 together. Here we go. It says, What good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To speechless stone images, you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they're lifeless inside. But the Lord, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. A few weeks ago, we learned that the driving force behind Babylon's uh, uh, massacres, if you will, was, was to build their massive empires at the expense of people around them for the sake of their own wealth, their own security for their own families. I'm sure somewhere in there, the intentions are decent enough, but the fact of the matter is their practices that they are doing in order to get there are awful. And that desire to have the biggest, to have the best, for their family to be so protected and safe from harm has led them down a path of murder, injustice, just outright massacre. And this has led them to a point where eventually they stop and ask themselves, maybe, maybe we could use some direction. You think we could get some direction on this? And then here's the crazy thing, right? Here's the crazy thing. For direction, in order to get divine wisdom and direction, the, Babylon, the Babylonians make idols. Yeah, I don't think you caught that. To get divine wisdom, to get divine direction, they made something. They Finite human beings carved something out of wood or created a statue out of stone and then looked at something that is clearly dead, clearly lifeless, clearly that didn't exist a little bit ago until they, these finite murdering human beings, made it, put gold and silver on top of it, and then sat in front of it like, tell me, what do I do? Give us direction, oh wise piece of wood I created eight seconds ago. 
Now you're giggling. Now I think you get it. They wanted higher wisdom and direction from something they made. Because, of course, they couldn't turn to the God of Israel. The God of Israel would probably tell them something like, hey, yeah, um, don't kill my people. Or stop killing at all. Murder, not particularly a fan of that. Didn't really design it to go down like that. If you could stop that, that would be great. They didn't want to hear that. So I'm not going to go there. You ever do that? You ever like know the answer that God's going to give you? So instead of going to God to get the answer that you know he's going to give you, you're going to go ahead and turn this way and make something else up like, oh, no, I got an idea. I'm going to read uh, this book or I'm going I'm to make this process or I'm going to draw this chart or I'm going to do something out of my own wisdom or my own ability to come up with my own answer because I know what that answer is over there and I'm not trying to hear that. So let me come up with a different one. You ever do that? No, I'm the only one. Okay. Cool. I'm the only one that relies sometimes on their own wisdom or their own ability rather than going to God. That's okay. That's okay. They're turning to dumb, lifeless objects. Anyone who calls on these things and expects a real response should expect to be disappointed, right? This leads to deception. Because if you call on something that doesn't have life, that thing is not going to talk back to you. But if you so desperately want an answer that you hear an answer, who did you hear it from? Because it's not God. And this leads us down a path of deception. But God says, I am the true source of revelation, and you should approach me, but approach me in silence. He's, he, he's using irony here because he says these dumb idols that man makes, they approach by speaking and chanting and singing so that they would speak, but these dumb idols remain silent. But me, you should come to me, the God of the universe, in silence with respect to my holiness, my majesty, and your need for my grace and my will, and that God speaks. This is called idolatry. And we can read passages like this and look at this and be like, that's stupid. Like, what were they doing? They like made something and then started like praying to it. They made something and then something that they did and they created become the object of their affection or the object of their worship. That's really, really, really silly, right? I'm going to take your silence as you know where I'm going with this. When we express our admiration, our love, our reverence, or our worship towards something other than God, when we allow something other than God to give us our purpose or our identity or be the driving force in our lives, when we do that, those things begin to determine the way we think, the way we feel, the way we behave. And when we do those things and we go down that rabbit trail, it's only going to lead us down a very, very dark path. When we do that, when we put something else as the object of our affection, when we put something other than God as where we receive direction and information, when we put something other than God as to who and what gives us our purpose and our identity, God hates that. 
He despises that. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, when he was like, look, I don't think y'all can handle all the rules and regulations. So just to start, just for fun, I'm going to give y'all 10. Let's start with these 10 and see how y'all do. And then we'll go from there. And of the 10, he put idolatry first. God hates this so much that the first thing he says when Moses says, show us how to follow you, show us how to be in your will, show us what to do. The first thing he says, well, for starters, don't put anything else before me. He starts with that. When anything else other than God becomes the center of our energy, our focus, and our affection, it leads us down a path of destruction. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at how many of our realities that we live in on an everyday basis are a a reflection of us following the Babylonians down that path. We are still very guilty of idolatry. We're going to look at three levels. First one, we just got to keep it real in here. Can I keep it real this morning? Is that okay with everybody? Let's look at how we're doing as a country, okay? Let's just be honest about some idols that we've got as a country. Anyone with a social media account will go on and see their feeds littered with argumentative, antagonistic, spun to how we prefer it, narratives done to evoke some sort of response. That's called politics. Our engagement in politics, especially over the last several years, has been incredibly, incredibly divisive. Because we are politicking, we are crying out, we are desperate for somebody in some seat that we perceive to be powerful to fight some serious battles. Right? That's what we're doing. We are so behind some politicians to get that seat because we perceive that this is the person who's going to fight and win this battle for me. But we do that because I believe we don't actually think that God can beat some of the giants that are going on in our country. We get so adamant about politics because we don't believe that God can beat the giant of abortion. We get so out of pocket because we don't believe that God actually has an answer to race relations. We get so so turned up and out of character because how can God possibly have an answer to poverty? It's a real issue. I haven't seen God answer these things, and so let me turn my attention to some individual who may or may not represent what I actually think to go sit in a city far, far away and talk about things that really interest me. We get so passionate over this because we want somebody to fight our battles for us. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, Israel did the same thing. Israel's looking around at all other nations, all other countries, and they're like, they got a king. They got a king. They got a king. Oh, look at over there. It's a little one, but they got a king. We don't got one. God, we want a king. 
We want someone to rule and govern over us. And God's like, huh, well, I thought that was me. Um, but okay. Israel goes to Samuel and they're like, go tell your buddy God that we need a king. And the Lord says to Samuel, do everything they say. Don't take it personal. They're not rejecting you. As a matter of fact, they're rejecting me. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they've continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Go ahead. Give them the king. Do as they ask. But tell them about the way a king will reign over them. And we're going to skip that next part. Because we all in our hearts know the answer. We know the answer. Samuel warns them about what a king will do. And then drop down to verse 19. It says, but the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, Samuel, we still want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and he'll lead us into battle. They wanted to be like the other nations. And let me ask you, what was the result? What was the result? Three crooked and corrupt kings that constantly had to keep changing positions because they all kept falling out of favor with God. And then eventually the whole thing fell apart. They're all divided. And then, oh yeah, now there's this impending nation Babylon coming to take them over and we get what we're reading today. They wanted to be like other nations. We want to be the same as it is for every other nation. We want somebody to lead us into battle. We want somebody to be our judge. And God's like somebody who's not me. They're like, well, I don't want to put it that way, but yes, somebody who's not you. And we put somebody else in that position to fight our battles. And guess what happens? They fail. They fail every time. Why? Because they're not God. We get so mad when our leaders fail. We get so mad when they do something that hurts us. But God is getting sad. Because our hope was in them and not in him. Our hope, our trust should be in God to fight our battles. When we replace God as our leader with any other person on this earth, whatever we hope for will actually fall apart. We see this as a city. I would say one of the, one of the uh, most common narratives I've experienced in my 10 years in Canton so far is this idolizing of other places or this idolizing of this mindset of getting out. We get it in our minds that the grass is greener on the other side. Malone students, you may not be from here, but in your four years... I guarantee not many of you sit there and think to yourself, I'm going to be in Canton after this. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily have to be a city. It can be where we live. It can be where we work. 
right? Or I just want to do this long enough or do this well enough or allow this to drive me to a point enough where I can go get something different. I just need to do what I got to do for right now so that eventually I can be in a position to get out of this situation and I can go do what those people are over there are doing. Look at Akron. It's so cool up there. And they have LeBron and like, it's, it's so cool. Oh my goodness, look at Pittsburgh. You guys want to go to Pittsburgh for the weekend? <laughs> And we get so excited about other places. And we allow other things to drive us to a point of like, that's what I want. The grass is greener over there. And we get so caught up that we completely miss what God is doing here. And we completely miss why God has us here. We completely ignore that it's quite possible that God is infinitely more creative than we are. And he has a purpose for us in Canton, Ohio right now. We miss that. This week I was in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> Shake that right off. I was in Dallas, Texas. And uh, everything is a lot bigger in Texas. Man, churches? Pfft, whew, is there anybody in Texas that isn't saved? Goodness. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> Texas, so cool. Went to this conference. This conference for uh, multi-ethnic churches. Happens once every three years. It's big. It's really cool. A lot of famous speakers with like tons of followers on Instagram and stuff. And I'm really lucky uh, that I went with the people that I went with because they were all well-versed in who everybody was so they could explain to me who everybody was. It was great. And after, after uh, the last session that we were attending, I was walking out with the, with the people uh, that I attended with. By the way, the people that I attended with were our speakers from Absurd just a few weeks ago. They're from Texas. They're from L.A. They're from Cincinnati. They're from all over the place. And we all went to this thing, and, and, uh, and we were there, and I was like, so... That was pretty cool, huh? Like, guess we're doing this again, or that guy's got a conference. Guess we're going to that next time. And one of them stopped and looked at me and smiled, and they're like, nah, dude, we're not doing that. I just kind of looked at him. He's like, we're not doing that. We're doing absurd. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, bro. Are we not doing it again? Canton next year? Are we not all coming back? We don't want to do what they're talking about. We don't want to do that big flashy thing that was low-key surface level. We want to go do what God's doing over there. We're coming back to Canton. See, we've been so focused on getting out. We're so focused on what we got to do to get to the next level that we have failed to observe what other people caught on who aren't from here, which is God's doing something incredible in Canton. God has something for us here. I'm going to get real specific now. This is what I see as a church. Um, and when I say church, I don't mean like capital C church like the church, right? Not about to sit up here and criticize like the church, right? That's not what we're going to do. When I say 
the church as a church. I mean as Third Street, as Third Street Community Church, as the beautiful people who are in this room right now. Here are some things that I see we hold as idols. First one is our public persona. The image that everyone sees of us. Our image and what people think of us becomes everything. And when we get in that place, it ends up driving all of our decisions. It drives how often we even wear sweatpants. What we wear that day. Where we eat based on who's going to see us eating there. What time we go based on where everybody is at. What we post on our social media accounts based on how many likes or comments we think we're going to get. The things that we laugh at, the movies that we go see, the parts of culture that we go and we participate in, it's driven by our, by our need to build a public persona, an image of us. I know a Canadian philosopher who said, I know a girl whose one goal was to visit Rome. And then she finally got to Rome and all she did was post pictures for the people at home. Because all that mattered was impressing everybody she's known. I know a girl that's crying out for help, but her latest caption says, leave me alone. I know a girl happily married till she puts down her phone. I know a girl that saves pictures from places she's flown to post later and make it look like she's still on the go. Let me catch all non-millennials up. That was Drake. And even he knows that life is empty. Even he knows that's empty. We live our life by our photo library, by our IG accounts, by how many followers we have, and we mistake ourselves for believing that the number of followers we have is the number of people who approve of us. Not just the number of people who are curious as to what we're doing or want to watch us when we fall. We've tricked ourselves. Our social media accounts drive every decision we make, where we go, who we hang out with, and even Drake will tell you that's empty. Let me hit one a little closer to home. You thought that was personal? I'm coming for your business today. How about our money? We idolize our money, our bank accounts. We believe in our hearts that we need to make a particular number so that we can actually do some of the things that we want to do. And we believe that making that number will somehow make life make more sense. And so that number becomes the driving force for how hard we work or how many jobs we accept or what we do to achieve that number. Or on the other side, we think we don't make enough. We don't make enough, so we need to hang on to it. I'm going to pinch every penny I got. I'm going to hold on to these assets while I still can. 
because it's not enough. I need to build, build, build. I need more. And check this out. Neither party, neither the party without money or neither the party with money is giving money to the church. Because we believe that we are more wise with our money than God, or at the very least, the guy who's making the decision at the church. We believe we know better what to do with our money. Because we also believe that our money is ours. I don't think I'll be financially giving myself over, pastor, but don't worry. Don't you worry. I'll be sure to post lots of pictures and verses of things God is showing me as you speak. We idolize ourselves. We idolize ourselves. We put ourselves in the driver's seat. We hold on. I think this is the most common one. We hold on to our right to be our own gods, to be our own gods, to make our own decision. God, I may have heard a whisper that you want me to go over here, but God, you can't make me, and I'm going to go over here. I don't want to do that, and I have the right to choose. I want this over here, so I'm going to go get it. I want things to look this way around me, so I'm going to do my best to build it this way. And it leads us down a path of narcissism and causes us to be blind to anything outside of what just affects us. So then we start going to church, if we still go to church at all, we start going to church and saying things like, I just need a word today. I just need a word today. I just need to get some good worship in. Like, I just need that team to be on point today. I need the pastor to get really fired up today. I need him to say a lot of stuff. Maybe he'll stand up on a chair and get fired up and break this one so there's one less for somebody next week because I just need that right now. I just need it right now. Or we'll say, that, that, that didn't really hit. No, I don't know. Just wasn't, wasn't feeling it today. <laughs> and we'll go to lunch and talk about all how we wish we would have gone to the one up the street because of the billboard that they, that they put up about the sermon that they were doing. And I bet that would have been a good one for, for, for me. And we start getting mad when things don't go our way or meet our expectations. We hold on to our time preciously. And we refuse to live in community because sometimes I just need time for me and living in community gets uncomfortable and it could lead to some awkward conversation and some really tough, tough things coming up. And worst of all, worst of all, worst of all, it might lead to somebody actually knowing some of the things about me that I don't prefer for people to know. And when we hold on to these things for ourselves, when all we do is think about that for ourselves, it is actually, we've actually made it impossible for ourselves to actually get around to participating in God's mission. 
It's hard to hear. It's hard to hear. But idolatry of ourselves is incredibly common. And it leads us only to a path of isolation and darkness. The only place idolatry will lead you is there. When we look at Babylon, it's so evident. When anything or anyone other than God is the focus of your worship, it only causes us to sin. And the cost of sin is death. That's what we're going to see for Babylon. They've been driven by the idolatry of themselves and this idea of building their own empire. They've been driven by these dumb, lifeless statues that they made. And they're doing these things for themselves. And ultimately what we see 2,500 years ago is Babylon falls apart. It falls apart. They don't make it. Spoiler alert. I'm sorry. We will find ourselves when we chase down that path, when we chase Babylon down that path, we will find ourselves in a place where the pain is real. The isolation is real. The world around us is cold and harsh. And that thing we've been holding highest highest has not only gotten us to that point, but it also can't get us out. We'll chase these idols far, far away from God, right down a path of destruction and separation, and then we'll turn back and look for God like he went somewhere. God, I haven't been able to hear you. I haven't been able to feel you. God, I haven't seen you moved in so long. And God's like, um, that's because I told you to go this way, and you walking like this, this way. I haven't gone anywhere. God's right here. And we all will get to a point where we will recognize that we need saving. And there is but one who can save. There is but one that when called upon will actually speak. That name is Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 1 verse 15. The first thing we see Jesus speak in the gospel of Mark is he says, hey everybody. The time promised by God has come come at last. The kingdom of God is near. I know you want to be there. I know you want to experience that. I know that that's actually what you've been looking for as you've been chasing all these other things. So let me tell you what you need to do. I need you to repent of your sins. And I need you to believe the good news. He says, I need you to repent. That means I see you full tilt boogie sprinting down this path. I see you going all the way down here. I need you to stop. I need you to stop. I need you to take the blinders off. Come with me back this way over here. God sees the path that we've been walking. God sees the things that we're up to when nobody else is around. God knows the true intentions of our heart. He knows when we're really just chasing after ourselves, though we do a good job of posting and making it look like we're glorifying him. We're really just trying to glorify ourselves. God knows that he sees us running down, and he's like, it's not too late to turn around. What's down that path is something you don't want to get bit by. Come this way. There's a snake down that way. Come this way. 
And then he says, I need you, I need you to believe the good news. And a lot of us are like, yeah, but like I can believe the good news like over here. I can believe it over here. I can be down this rabbit hole. I can be messing up. I can be consciously making decisions that, that I know are against God's intention, but I can be doing this over here and still believe the good news. Jesus says, you don't actually believe the good news. I need you to believe that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom from that rabbit hole. There's freedom from that path down there. There's freedom from the, from the chains that have been pulling you back or holding you down to the ground. There's freedom from that. That's the gospel. I need you to bring the, believe the good news that if I, God, am for you, that there is not one, not one, not a single, not one that can stand against you. I need you to believe the good news that says you have reason to take heart because even though the world has been beating you over and over and over and over and over again, Christ has overcome the world. I need you to believe the good news that says Jesus didn't come to condemn you to hell, but he came to save you for your life. I need you to believe the good news that says the only grass we need to be worried about greener on the other side is in heaven. I need you to believe the good news that says those who were blind will be made to see. Those who have been crippled will get up and walk. Those who are sick and in their beds will be made well. I need you to believe the good news that says why would I place anything else as my object of worship because Jesus said if you drink what I got right here, you ain't never going to be thirsty. These idols that we have made, that we have decorated and that we have put in a seat of significance have got to go. They've got to go, and don't worry. Don't worry about the stronghold that they have on your life because they've already gotten you. They've gripped me in ways that I can't, even, I can't even get into right now. Don't worry about the ways that those things have gripped you because God is bigger. God can break those things. God can free you of those things. We've got to be willing to get rid of the idols. Where are you looking to find direction purpose, satisfaction, or even an advocate. And if the answer to that is anything other than God, then the follow-up to that is what will you do this morning to put it away?